Hi, Berge. Good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. So um, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please give us like a brief overview of who you are and what you do? Okay, I'm um, a Norwegian coach. Um, I guess the, the terminology coach is kind of, you know, uh, controversial, you know, it depends on what circles you, you, uh, you work in, but, um, you know, I've always been interested in how to make the human body better, work better. And, um, probably most of all, because I never really excelled at anything, but I had, a um, you know, I, I learned to read, uh, three years before I started school and, I learned to do math way before um, I started school, and and so I figured, well, I might as well use my my one strength to make the rest of my body uh, stronger. So I, you know, I just started reading and trying to figure out everything, and and discussing with the brightest minds in the industry as well, and uh, even chasing down different lines of research and and areas of of interest to see whether. You know there could be some um, uh, missing pieces there, and and you know su surprisingly enough, you you can you can find things in quantum theory, you can find things in in bioenergetics gene. You, you know there, there are so many different uh, areas we can uh, dig deeper into, and and so my coaching eventually evolved from being very technically. Uh, focused on figuring out the optimal diet and the optimal program, and and it, it it's it's kind of funny now to reflect on it because it started out like a really simple basic um, perspective on it. So you know, eat healthy, train well, and and I started my training career doing um, full body workouts three times per week, even up to six times per week and an upper-lower split, so very similar to how I train today, but then I started learning more, and it's the classical Dunning-Kruger effect. As you learn more, you realize how little you actually know, and so the the, um, the learning curve tends to taper off a little, um, or, or at least the realization that you know so little that um, you know you will probably forever be learning and still not know a fraction of what there is to know um and and so today i guess i'm kind of back full circle that um like the diet and training uh, theory can be made very complex but then again broken down into the basics and i think everyone should start with the basics and then on an individual level i believe more in figuring out how to um how to uh, find that one um, combination of dietary and training interventions combined with um, the mind. So it's like mind, body, spirit. I think that encompasses um, the approach that everyone should should uh, should have in order to to actually improve and, and get better. And the mental side of things, sometimes I can work 12 weeks, three months with a client. And the first two weeks we spend just adjusting, setting up, and and uh, optimizing the diet and the training, and the remaining time we spend just addressing various stress, um, various issues, various unresolved psychological 
blocks that needed to be addressed for the program and diet to actually work better. So as long as you have the basics in place, I think for a lot of people, it just comes down to um, having that sort of personal inventory process where you just go through and and loosen the various knots uh, that, that make you stress and, and worry and being OCD about things that aren't really worth um, being OCD about, you know. And whenever everything is in place on, an, on a holistic level, that's when things really start to take off. That's when your results improve and, and also that you become more, uh, should I say, grateful for what you have instead of always trying to chase something, you know, chase your tail around in circles. And, and um, so, so I, I think the the whole self-help industry and the fitness industry is selling that it's something there's something wrong with you you're not good enough and that's sort of on the f- fundamental level what people nowadays think in order for them to improve and to be motivated they somehow think that they need to think that there's something wrong with them that needs to be improved but I, I tend to um, have the opposite perspective that you're, you're good enough as you are now. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should stop improving in some direction. But that comes from a different um, direction. That comes from a different part of you. That comes from your heart. It co- comes from a, like a positive intention of, um, okay, I'm, you know, my life is pretty good. I'm pretty happy. Um, on a scale from one to ten, I think we can all agree that a seven is good enough. And incidentally, that's how people tend to gravitate, whether they experience something uh, really exciting or something really depressing. Uh, eventually, they will end up back at the seven. So I think accepting and adopting the mindset that a seven is okay, and having brief flashes of a, tab- a ten or a five is part of life uh, instead of chasing the 10 because the 10 is you know impossible to uh, just achieve and stay there you know we we can't no one whether you win a lot in the lottery uh, several millions or um, you know whatever happens in your life there will always be just a brief flash of happiness or depression and then you're pretty much Maybe, back yeah. back to a seven so accepting that you're a seven and then just you know, being curious, being curious about yourself and about life, what life has to offer. Um, and then, you know, being experimental in different directions and see if that's something that resonates with you and improves your life. I think that's the best perspective. <laughs> Sorry for the long rant, but, you know, this is something I've <laughs> no, that, spent a lot of time thinking about. <laughs> That, that's what the long form uh, format is for. So um, before we dive deeper into your whole like training uh, philosophy and training principles, diet, nutrition, exercise, and so on and so forth, maybe Berger, you could uh, tell us a bit about like how you grew up or how your 20s looked like and how your childhood looked like. Maybe share a fun story or two with us and uh, please speak to that. Okay. Um... So, um, like I mentioned, I, I learned to read and do math at a very early age. Um, so I, I was, you know, good in school, but not very good in sports. 
but I do like to play soccer and and just do general. I I was I remember being very interested in in ninjas. You know, back in the 80s, they had these ninja movies, and these guys could just throw a smoke bomb and disappear, and, <laughs> uh, you know, jump uh, up into trees and throw these ninja stars and use swords. And I was really fascinated about that, and I just <laughs> really wanted to become a ninja. Uh, so I, I did a lot of martial arts training, karate, taekwondo, and eventually I, I was able to train with a ninja master as well in, in America. And uh, so, so that that has been a big part of my life. Um, I also used to skateboard. I I, uh, I skated for many many years. Um, so so pretty much always active. But my friends would always be better than me, faster and stronger and everything. And I I, I picked up uh, training at the age of twelve. I think that that's when my father. Yeah. Um, he bought me this, uh, what is called a bulwarker. So it's this, um, uh, like steel tube that you can compress. There's a steel, in, uh, uh, spring inside of it. And then there's bands on the sides that you can pull apart. You can mm. push it together and hold it, or you can pull it apart and hold it and do different types of exercises. Um, but obviously that's a very limited way of training. So, um, when I went to high school, uh, when I was 15, I, I spent one year in, in the U.S., in Kansas. Uh, I was able to train uh, for one hour in, in the gym in, um, in, with the football guys and, and uh, all of the, the big strong dudes. So that, that, was, uh, that was really inspiring. And there was this one bodybuilder-looking guy that was, you know, always very uh, like a... Um, you know, someone to aspire to, to look like. Um, I was always very skinny, so I had to struggle to uh, to build muscle at all and get stronger. Came back to Norway, and we actually found a gym uh, that some a local boxing club had set up. Um, it was uh, f- pretty far to to go to to train there, but I would go there six days per week and and do these crazy high frequency volume programs. And again, my friends wouldn't be as dedicated and didn't train as much as me and wouldn't be as cons- consistent, but they still managed to get stronger and bigger than me. Um, so, um, and now in retrospect, I, I, I realized that I was overtraining. Mm. I was just training too much. I was riding my bike for 45 minutes, uh, minutes in every direction and, and, um, uh, just not eating enough and and just spent way too much time training. Um, but uh, that again also drove me to figure out, you know, how can I make my body stronger and bigger? And you know, what what's the what's the key? What's the secret? And uh, this knowledge eventually led me to start writing online on forums because back then when I started, when when did. This was probably around 99, 98, 99. Oh, I was 25 at the time. Got it. So, so I started uh, writing on, on different discussion boards and uh, people would obviously see that I had read a lot and knew a lot and, and started sending me questions. And so I started setting up training programs and dice for, for people and that sort of first for free and eventually some would just pay me happily because uh, the programs were really effective. 
And um, I figure out, well, why not just do this, you know, full time? I, I'm I'm an uh, engineer, electrical and and computer engineer by education, so that you know, not like it's a wasted education. I just worked for a couple of years. Um, that this was actually right before I worked in New York right before 9/11. Yeah, so I just I went home like uh, uh, six weeks or so before they crashed those planes into into the twin towers. So that was, you know, yeah, mind blowing to just watch that on TV. I actually knew one guy that worked in those towers, so that was a horrible, horrible experience. But again, just put puts your life into perspective. Every time these things happen in your life, that. Well, what's the point of living? What's uh, you know? What's my overarching goal in life? What am I here for? You know, and I, I guess at a very early age, I just figured out I could I could help others achieve even better results than me. You know, I've, I worked with several uh, Norwegian, European, and world championships uh, champions. I've just ordinary people that had a talent obviously but needed uh, the right diet and program to to um to get to you know the the, the very top yeah uh, and that somehow uh, made me happier than achieving a personal best for myself in the gym mm. and i guess i i by helping others i sort of help myself you know it's kind of my own therapy my own version of therapy to to make others uh, become better become the best version of themselves as i call it um so so yeah i guess that's that's a brief history of of uh, burge <laughs> <laughs> so um basically you had a pretty good childhood and after it you studied um engineering and you worked in New York and um, you tried to get this whole like online coaching thing going and then you uh, did some 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 vaginal coaching, correct? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't actually say I had a good childhood. Um, my, my father was a violent alcoholic. Um, so I guess that's sort of uh, one of the wounds that made me into what I am today. So I can look back on it today and, and be very neutral about it. But that required a lot of uh, introspection and uh, for, forgiveness and, and um, a long process. And it's like what, what Chris Rock said, uh, don't stop um, uh, bullying. And, and the reason for that is that the smartest and brightest and most inventive people on the planet uh, have had some traumatic uh, experience in their childhood and something needs to sort of create that drive that passion that motivation and i think if if your life life is just happy and you have no problems or perceive it as having no problems then perhaps you start making problems out of nothing. You become a drama queen or drama king. So having some real issues to, to tackle is, is a good way to, to live your life, I think, that, that makes you into a more um, um, problem-solving oriented uh, person. So, so uh, because, sorry to interrupt, but because you said um, one part of your coaching is actually um, really getting also into the psychology of the other person, breaking down barriers. So um, because I think like a lot of listeners are also dealing with like a personal issues, relationship issues and so on and so forth. 
So mm. I think um, everybody would, would love to hear your take on how did you personally dealt with this situation and yeah, how, how did you eventually get uh, onto the better end of this uh, whole experience? Okay, so uh, there's two parts to this and, and what I always uh, take my clients through. First of all, is, is to take sort of a, um, like map out your life. Um, look, look at um, your, your current situation. Uh, what people do you have in your life that can be said to be positive on an intellectual or energetic level? You know, you, you have these people that you just spend time with them and you feel inspired and motivated and just happy. And you learn something. And then you have the neutrals. Uh, that's neither here or there. You know, it's just right in between. <laughs> and then you have the negatives that, that are just draining. You know, you, you just feel like you want to sleep afterwards. Or you just feel depressed. Or you know, it, no. what some people refer to as the energy vampires. And, and so learn how to either block them out. Because some people just spend their lives making sure everyone is happy and that makes them depressed simply because first of all you can't make everyone happy and second of all if you have too many of these people that drain your energy in your life then you will you know eventually end up being very drained yourself uh, and so you either need to block them out or you need to be honest and direct and, and set boundaries for yourself and for others. You know, respect boundaries. That's a very central theme to have running through your uh, life. And you do the same thing with activities and jobs and uh, whatever you spend your days doing on the positive, neutral and negative. And having this map sometimes... When people are overly stressed out or uh, just uh, drained or uh, they lack energy or motivation or whatever, then there's a clear imbalance. Like they have too few positive activities and people in their lives and they have a lot of negatives. And so learning to deal with that either by blocking out or because uh, eventually if, if you if you talk to these negative people and you tell them the truth, you know, this is what I feel about our relationships, um, then you will get a contrast reaction. Instead of just going through the motions and, and always trying to make them happy, you know, and people will never be happy if that's the sort of relationship you have. If you uh, are honest and authentic with them, they will either... Uh, become really angry and just disappear and I, I think that's you know good for, for the both of you let yeah. them find someone else to bother or they will be you know um, they will be surprised and not expect that but appreciate the honesty maybe they will first of all become shocked and angry and then come back later and say you know, I've thought about it and I realized that you're right and I really, you know, I'm sorry and I will improve, I will, you know, change. Um, and so you can change someone from negative into positive. Mm. And obviously some people are contextually dependent, positive or negative. So your your mother may be, you know, negative in some situations and positive in others. So it's it's yeah. just about cleaning up the relationship and becoming more honest. You know, honesty should be the the number one uh, value, I think, core value. 
Um, and so having that background, uh, when you have a sort of a map of your current situation, I think it's good to have sort of a personal inventory, you know, go through and list the various uh, traumas or, or negative experiences you have or negative actions you do, you know, spanning from, well, I never return the books to the library or never pay my bills on time, that sort of stuff, or to, I, I resent my father, something like that. Uh, my my father was an, an abusive alcoholic, and I hate him for that. You know, for the things he did to me. That's a r- really deep kind of thing. But but start addressing these things and write through them. Um, now, what part of you um, is hurt by this? Uh, you know, is is it your uh, self confidence? Is it your um, is it your uh, self worth as a human being? Uh, is it your um, ability to to uh, to be um, honest? Is it you know whatever qualities? Start listing that and look at what part of you is affected by this trauma or, or this event or this um, negative uh, thing uh, not you know, on on the line. And then address what's your part in this. What could you have done better? Uh, for instance, with my father, I know today what I would have told him and how I would have addressed this. Um, so, so sort of going back through time and, and, and re-addressing, re-experiencing those events with the tools and knowledge and strength I have today uh, enables you to actually um, recalibrate or, or reshape those memories in your mind so they stop um generating so much stress and worry and concern and, and dark thoughts you're actually able to re-remember them differently this is called reframing in nlp terminology and, and it's a very good way to work through uh, traumatic events in the past and then eventually what can you learn from this you know and, and sort of just write through the whole experience because um, I can sit here today and be on your podcast because my father was an abusive alcoholic. You know, it, I, I think we need to give him some credit for it. It's, it's a weird way to think yeah. about it. But, but <laughs> I mean, you are here today due to what happened to you. You know, you, you are yeah. the sum of your experiences and thoughts and and the way you sort of lived your life. You know, there, there you can find some meaning in it, True. you know. And and with all of the strengths and experiences and and um, qualities you have today, what will the rest of your life look like if you if you start to focus on the positives? Because there there's some of us that are really prone to something called the blue dot effect, what and the blue dot effect is uh, let me explain that because it's really interesting. It's it's a very common thing with the human psyche. Uh, they did an experiment where they placed people in front of a of a computer screen and they flashed blue and purple dots. And these people had one button button for the blue and one button for the purple dots. And it's a really simple experiment, but they did it for hours. And it seemed really meaningless, but that's sort of the point as well. And in the be- beginning, they showed a lot of blue dots and then some purple dots. And eventually, they they stopped showing blue dots and showed only purple dots. And what's funny was that people would uh, answer correctly every time in the beginning. But eventually, as the blue dots stopped being shown, they thought they saw the blue dot when there wasn't any. 
and <laughs> and they expanded this experiment uh, and showed happy faces, neutral faces, and angry faces. And in the beginning, only angry faces, and eventually stopped showing angry faces and showed only happy and neutral faces. And people, um, as you stopped showing angry faces, they thought neutral faces and even happy faces were angry. What? <laughs> yeah, I know it's mind blowing. Right. And and um, and 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 the point of this is that when we stop experiencing something that's potentially negative, we still find negatives in our environment and situation so we see something that's not really there so we see reality through our thinking and if our thinking is very negative so here here's here's uh, an example if you've been watching a horror movie with uh, ted bundy the serial ki serial killer and you are really good at um getting engaged into movies you really believe what's going on uh, in the screen and you feel fear, you feel anger and happiness and all of these extreme emotions simply because you are forgetting that you're watching a movie. That's what a good movie does. It makes you forget that you're watching a movie. You you get so engaged into, into the action that, that, you know, this, wow, this is real. And then you stop watching the movie, the movie ends and you walk outside and suddenly everyone is Ted Bundy, you know, because you're still in that thinking. You are still thinking that life is a horror movie, basically. And this is, you know, interestingly enough, how some people live their life. Everything looks as if it's real to them. Every, You know, people, it looks as if the plane is the reason for your anxiety. You know, so you have, uh, you know, fear of flying. It looks like the panic attack is caused by the plane. But... But in reality, you're sitting there with 300 other people that are not experiencing this. So how can it be the plane? Because if it was the plane, everyone would have the fear of flying. But the fear oh. is great. Oh, I never thought it about like like this way. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but this is the way we even pain can be uh, caused by your brain perceiving something as dangerous. You know, there might not be any physically wrong with you. And, and still, we have good statistics showing that in 70% asymptomatic shoulders, meaning that there's no real injury there, people still perceive pain and vice versa. You have people Crazy. with torn, torn rotator cuffs. They have Crazy. torn infraspinatus. And um, that shows up on an MRI. And if, if a doctor would look at this, he would say, you need surgery. But that person doesn't feel any pain. So pain, pain is also your brain creating thinking, you know, based off of experience, based of how, you know, if you have had a lower back injury at one time and it was very traumatic to you. Then every time you bend over, even to tie your shoelaces, then the brain will perceive that bending forward as dangerous. And so it may create pain where there is no actual physical injury. People have, uh, you know, a couple of years after their hernia is gone, like there's nothing creating irritation to that nerve. The sensors around, because we don't have any pain sensors. We have something called nociceptors that register stretch, temperature, pressure, um, different things. 
And then the brain, based off of experience, your current mood, the temperature, all sorts of things, decides whether that motion should create pain or not. So that's, you know, I've cured chronic pain in people just by teaching them that what you are perceiving is your own thinking about that movement, not really the physical, you know, pain itself. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. So basically what you're saying is that our thinking makes up a whole lot of our reality. Yes, it does. It 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 makes up the whole of your reality. Everything you experience is first filtered through your own thinking. So two people can be in the same situation. So so this is why eyewitness statements are so inaccurate. If if uh, the police interviews eyewitnesses to a bank robber robbery, like even if just two hours have passed, uh, it may be fifty percent inaccurate. They will have different. Per, uh, Uh, different descriptions of uh, how the robber looked, what happened, the events, what people were there. And that's because, again, our experience, our perception of everything is is filtered through our own experience and thinking. And so what you think you believe or what you believe you think is not really reality. So, so and, and, and again, this is not the sort of, well, oh, my God, so what's really going on? Yeah. <laughs> can't trust anything. <laughs> but, it, but it's more like whenever you feel something really strongly, maybe you should first of all consider what's in your current thinking. Are you watching horror movies inside your brain, basically? You know, and that's that's again. This goes back again to your childhood, your all of your experiences, and I think the model of going to therapy and discussing your childhood doesn't really resolve anything for many. It can help a lot. Why? Why? It can help Why a lot you? of people. But I think being concerned about what really happened isn't the best way to address it, to resolve it. Uh, for some it does, obviously, because it does work for millions of people worldwide. But I'm, I'm more of the, the thinking that we can find shortcuts, we can go through this uh, much faster. And doing this sort of personal inventory thing where you just map out what happened, the incident, what part of you was hurt, what part of it did you play, and what can you actually learn from this. Then obviously psych psychologists that go through that process to address past traumas will have a way higher success rate than just talking about your problem. Because again, the blue dot effect, sometimes you see things that aren't really there and reframing your past is a very effective way of, uh, of doing this. And so another way to, to understand this, uh, the, this part is um, if you're walking in the woods and suddenly you see a snake and your body responds like it's supposed to do, you know, we have a very primitive brain that will take over every function in your body when danger is um, perceived. And uh, adrenaline starts pumping, your heart rate goes up, you get really warm and your muscles tense up and you're ready to basically fight, fight or freeze. So either you know fight something or you run away or you just stand still in hopes that the danger will go by you um, without hurting you. But then you realize it's just a twig. You know, it's a branch, tree branch. 
but your brain perceived something that wasn't really there and your body reacted as if there was danger there. So a good way to, um, in, instead of always thinking positive, because that's a, a typical self-help kind of thing, that you should, um, you, you should think positive always because then you will always feel good and you should avoid thinking negative thoughts. Then the, the problem is that you can't really control your thinking. I mean, you can sit there for, for one minute and just you know, say out loud, loud what you're thinking. Okay, so I'm thinking, um, I'm hungry. Steak. Steak is good. <laughs> Steak comes from an animal. A deer. A deer running through the woods. And a hunter shooting him with a bow and arrow. Bow and arrow made of wood. Uh, you know, you, you can just yeah. go in various directions and you can't really control it. That's how the mind works. Uh, so instead of trying to control what you're thinking, you just realize that your ex internal experience right now is caused by what current thoughts you have. And if you decide to, um, and so it's not, it's not like you need to stop thinking or you need to stop feeling. It is more like if you're driving along a road and um, suddenly you start, you know, because you're, um, you're not really paying attention and you start veering off into the side of the road, then there are some, you know, rills on the side of the road that makes your tires go brrrr, you know, or you have uh, this um, this warning thing in in the modern cars that tells you, okay, you're steering off the road, and so that signal tells you to just correct your course. That's all it does. So emotions are really just a signal that now you are involved in some thinking that's negative or depressive or dangerous. And and so it, all it tells you is to be aware of what you're actually thinking right now. So I, I, a practical example, I would, um, having had various injuries in the gym, uh, I would have various aches or pains in my shoulder and I've had two shoulder surgeries and in, in my lower back. And so I would go into the gym and, and at the slightest sign of anything popping or creaking or making any noise, I would get pain there. But as I learned this model, I would understand, okay, so it's only my thinking about my body that's creating the pain. And as soon as I realized that, the pain would go away. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. And and same thing if, if you're if you're sitting there and, and some some of us are really good at um, thinking we're a psychic about the future. So as we start thinking about going on vacation and, uh, okay, so we go on vacation and some have this catastrophic thinking mindset that, oh my God, what can happen if I go on vacation? And they need to plan everything down to the mind, smallest detail so that they will prevent negative things from happening. And for some planning is good. But for some, it's a negative stressor. Like it, it goes so far that you actually start planning for things that will never happen. And it becomes a dysfunctional habit. And, and again, if it goes so far that you start generating a lot of stress and worry inside yourself uh, based off of um, you thinking you're psychic about the future. And I mean, we're not. We, we can't predict the future. 
we can, based off of our experience, predict, try to predict what will happen. But I mean, even even people that are uh, that spend five years learning how to forecast the weather are still really horrible at it. I mean, just watch the news and you will see. Okay, so what's the weather forecast for tomorrow? Yeah, it's going to be sunny. And so tomorrow when you wake up and it's all raining, do you still go out in your Hawaii shorts just because <laughs> the forecast said it should be sunny? No, of course you don't. So it's 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 another exercise or another way, and this is the whole reason to do meditation practices regularly is to become aware of how much your thinking is influencing your your own emotions. And so how much time do you spend trying to predict the future? How much time do you spend ruminating about the past and what you could have done differently? And being present. Mindfulness meditation is the practice of being present and being aware of your current environment and what's going on and that that's why mindfulness meditation which can be a practice that you just do every day as soon as you're in a, a situation that's not dangerous but you're still perceiving something dangerous inside you you have a rapid heartbeat and you feel scared then perhaps stop and realize that now you might be trying to predict a future that's never happened or will never happen or you're stuck in a traumatic uh, event from the past and thus judging the current situation based off of something that's really not true. So I know this sounds really deep and crazy and that's why when I... <laughs> I love this direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but still when I, when, I talk, when I talk with people uh, and we do coaching and you know we have one hour or maybe two hours every week just discussing yeah. these types of things, um then then I go through various stories and metaphors to to make that person understand it and then they have some homework so they will start right through various things and and so I think you know it, it boils down to two very important existential problems or issues that people tend to get stuck on the first one is death mm. the realization that we all have a very limited time here and you can use that to scare you or you can just use that to you know as long as you reach some sort of neutral accept for dying that you know there's one thing you can guarantee and that's that we're all gonna die we just don't know when and how but if you sort of accept that and and so so this is the interesting part there's a lot of statistics on people that have um diagnoses medical diagnoses that tell them that okay you're gonna die in three months or six months yeah, yeah you have like an incurable disease terminal illness and they go, they go through various stages of uh you know anger and um fear yeah. and uh, trying to negotiate trying to figure out some you know obscure medicine that will help them or whatever and the interesting thing is that the people that go through all of these phases and eventually end up accepting that they're going to die and start doing things that they always wanted to do, uh, but they thought they needed, you know, they, they will stop themselves from doing it. They will live life according to some someone else's expectation or, you know, work in a job Sorry. that they hate or, you know, just do all of these things that suddenly become completely unimportant once they realize, okay, I'm going to die in three months. 
I'm not going to waste my time doing that shit. You know, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to, you know, do what I always wanted to do. And a lot of these people spontaneously cure themselves. Cancer tumors just disappear. Uh, viruses just disappear. Uh, autoimmune diseases simply just go away. And, and simply because, again, the power of the mind, we're able to cure ourselves. Now, this is not something I'm going to sit here and say will cure everyone, but the yeah. relationship There's we no have. no medical uh, advice, disclaimer, no medical disclaimer. Advice <laughs> at all, but you will find so yeah. many of these stories where stress is actually a way to generate uh, or to sort of tell our bodies to stop when we're unable to ourselves. And that's that's one of the existential subjects that I think many people would find very therapeutic to uh, meditate on. And the second one is the loss of relationships, you know, and this can take many forms. But if you imagine the most important people in your life right now and what would it do to you to lose them? Because a lot of us spend our life being worried and concerned, again, not only about death, but also losing someone. Uh, and, and not by death, but sometimes people will, you know, go away somewhere and never come back. And, you know, uh, your current partner, love, uh, your current love, sometimes love ends. Sometimes that person grows apart from you. And um, just sort of going through that same process where you accept that life happens and sometimes you lose people in your life has a very profound therapeutic effect for some people. So it's, it's a very deep and involved process that sort of would um, probably be more beneficial if you get guided through it by a qualified therapist. Um, but if, if you're able to come to some, some sort of acceptance, the same way that you accept that you're going to die and, and, you know, it's going to happen eventually, but there's no point in being scared of it, you know? So just live your life, uh, having that sort of end point, uh, being an, you know, unavoidable truth, then, then you do things from a much calmer, um, positive uh, in, intent than living your life being worried and concerned and you know having to build muscles because you want to be liked and loved and uh, you know ha having all of these disturbed um, goals in life based off of being scared all the time and 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 again going back to my coaching it it just sort of took off I mean any diet, any training intervention just becomes so much more enjoyable and productive once your mental game is in place, once once the, the, the mind is where it needs to be, when you have a positive intention on everything and, and you truly believe that you're okay, but you still want to improve because you're curi curious about figuring out what else is there for me? You know, what else can I do with my life? What what can I learn? What can I uh, figure out for myself? What can I try? In what ways can I improve? Then then it it just becomes completely different. I mean, we have we have studies showing that if you give placebo to people, they can cure cancer. You know, 
that we, you know, placebo, sugar pills, basically. Placebo, place, sometimes in medical studies so where, they, crazy. where they compare the, the actual medicine, the actual drug and placebo, which is ineffective, basically nothing. The placebo has like anywhere from a 30 to a 60% success rate. Sometimes the placebo is better than the actual drug, you know. <laughs> and and the color of that pill may play a role in how that effective. shows the power of the mind, man. Exactly. That's... And and what I was um, going to say was that we have um, there was a very good study. I can't remember the exact reference right now, but they gave people a placebo pill and told them it was steroids. And these people gained like thirty percent in strength and got a lot stronger. And um, uh like it was an actual steroid and a funny history uh, story from my past is that uh me and my friend that was the most consistent when we started training there was this guy that would you know come up to us every time we uh, went out partying and oh my god you guys are so big and strong and i want to get as big and strong as, as you as well well first of all you need to start training we said and then also you need to take uh, these pills these steroids that we have oh my god and he was so excited uh <laughs> we actually gave him fluoride pills you know for for your teeth <laughs> <laughs> and, and just told him that it was steroids and the guy would take these and train like crazy and eat like crazy and he would gain, <laughs> you know, get so much stronger and bigger and would go out in the weekends and fight because, you know, he was on steroids. So obviously he would be really aggressive due to the, <laughs> the steroids he got. And we would just be laughing. We never told him the truth, though, but uh, he still believes to this day that he did a cycle of steroids when it was actually <laughs> just making, making his teeth stronger. Crazy. And and again oh, for this this study, story. this this scientific study that, <laughs> that they, when these people actually got so much stronger and bigger just from taking, you know, I think they just got sugar. So it didn't help their teeth, you know. <laughs> um but when they told them that you only got placebo, they lost almost all of the strength gains. So that's sort of the you know yeah. that type of story. But again, you what you are perceiving is the reality filtered through your own thinking. And that's what you always need to remind yourself. That are you actually perceiving the truth, reality right now, or are you stuck in some sort of thinking? Well, yeah, I have to tell you, um, I've done like over 100 interviews combined with my German podcast channel, and um, you're one of the most interesting thinkers here so far. On this show. <laughs> wow. I really, I really, really enjoy talking to you. So um, get going back to this whole, uh, you can't control your thinking. Um, what is your take on like, um, manipulating like the environment because if we can't control our thinking but mm. we can't control our environment so there's like a common saying for instance like in, in for, for coders or uh, people in, in computer science like garbage in garbage out yeah. so um, for instance like you said um, people who are consuming so much news so much terrible uh, uh, stories or watch like uh, horror movies on, and, and so yeah. on and so forth. Watching the news is the worst thing. It really fucks up with your thinking. Maybe you could speak to that when we're, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I rarely watch the news anymore simply because that's one way to filter reality. And it, mm -hmm. it takes away all of the good things that's actually happening in the world. And, and um, it's like people today, when asked, they think, 
well, is there more terrorism now than before? Are there any more wars? Are there any more, you know, bad things happening? And they all think yes, because that's what's shown to them. And that's because news outlets have as their main purpose to actually show you news stories. So you will click, you know, on their titles or watch their channel. But statistics show that uh, there's this Swedish uh, guy that's, you know, he died a, a while ago, but um, he wrote a book on it. And there are lots of documentaries on this that um, the statistics about reality is manipulated to make it seem as if the world is worse off. But we're actually improving. You know, we're we're getting better. We have actually less bad things happening. We have less traffic accidents. We have less less real issues or problems in the world. But it's you know portrayed as if it's it's worse. And and again, we also know what Google and Facebook and all of these algorithms do. If you are looking for bad things, you will be shown more bad things because these algorithms shape what's shown to you based off of your preferences. So, you know, you need to be skeptical. And, and um, so, so, again, since you can't really control what you're thinking, but you can still control how you handle it, you know, it's, yeah. it's uh, um, having that perspective and always being skeptical, both of what reality is shown to you and, and you know, what's really true or not. And you, you see this all, all the time. I mean, people get almost religious about their food, you know, what you eat. So you either become a vegan or you become a carnivore. You know, there's suddenly there's nothing in between. And I, I've tried both veganism and, and carnivorism. You know, I've eaten only plants for a while. I've eaten only meats for a while. And I think it, you know, from uh, evolutionary and bio biological like like, like only the the only meat diet like uh john yeah, yeah. peterson is doing oh okay, yeah, yeah. Got it. yeah i did that for a while and and got some great results from it but you know it stopped working after a while and i think again back to evolutionary past and and um i think our grand grandparents forgot more about nutrition than we have ever learned in our lifetime you know so going back to sort of what food habits were formed in your area through many thousands of years of culture is probably healthier for you than the current dogmatic view of nutrition. And, and eating seasonally according to where you live is, is my overarching goal. And, and um, of course, having knowledge of how the body responds to various things and, and be, being aware of that will help to, to sort of um, since, since our modern food supply is so different than what it was like 50 or 100 years ago and, and uh, there are nutrient deficiencies and, and, and stuff going on simply because the soil is different and how food is grown and harvested is, is different. Pesticides, toxins, all of that stuff. But, but on an overarching level, it's how you perceive food that will have just as much of a physiological effect on you. I mean, many food intolerances are psychosomatic. Just because we are scared of what food can do to us, we start reacting to it. Our immune system start reacting to that food as if it. So was we get it. sick because we think um, the food is of bad quality. Exactly. I mean, I I have so many clients that they have this and that food intolerance, and once you start talking to them, you understand that they're basically just scared of everything. They have a lot of stress in their life. 
and and having a lot of stress in your life starts to create you know biochemical changes that affect how you actually digest and process that food so i think we we as a species should be able to eat a lot of foods as long as it's not manipulated uh, or processed by the food industry with lots of additives and that kind of stuff um but but you should be able to be healthy just following your instinct on what to eat and i mean by following your instinct i don't mean like okay i really crave um you know one one pound of sugar right now that is an, if you interpret that correctly you would go out there and eat a lot of fruits mm. that just basically means you need to eat some carbs but it doesn't mean you should you know Gorge on. go for, go for the candy you know yeah so so it's just what traditional food will satiate this need i feel i have now and i i uh, i also know a lot of vegans and i experienced this myself during my vegan period that it came to a point that even if i believed that this was healthy and the, these people as well there, there's like a facebook group with thousands of recovering vegans i think it's called and these people it came to a point where they just started craving meat even if they ethically and, and logically believe that they shouldn't be eating meat, their body created it to such a point that they they ended up cheating, you know, cheating. They ate meat and felt really bad about it afterwards. But their body responded positively still because there was some nutrients there that their body absolutely needed. So, and not to take away from whoever is listening to this and, and being a vegan, but I think yeah. instead of trying to be dogmatic and religious in your thinking, uh, and again, having all of this thinking about that may be formed by algorithms showing you all of the bad things about meat simply because you started looking for it. Um, being more aware of your your actual physiological needs, I think, is... is uh, way more uh, informative and interesting. Mm. I I really go uh, think that um, labeling labeling yourself like being such and such and such and such is such mm. a bad idea because you you try to defend your viewpoint even though somebody else might say something that's uh, that's like true and your false beliefs are like false. And um, I personally don't try to, to label myself at all, like being a vegan or omnivore or this and that. And you can also see this in the whole political scene where people say they're right wing, left wing, and yeah. they confirm with the whole party, even though the other party has a few good ideas. And uh, I think it, it makes you like an unclear thinker if you label yourself and, and try to defend your viewpoint all the time. And, and this goes back to this whole like black and white thinking where yeah. you were talking about uh, being a vegan or, or being an omnivore. Uh, mm. Could you please speak to that? Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, how, why should we go around and define ourselves based on some preference for food or preference for anything? Yeah, and I mean, it's really limiting. This is, Yeah, it is, and this is at at the very core of many very dysfunctional uh, mindsets. Yeah, the, you know, this, and, this and, and even even the anorectics and the bulimics and and the body dysmorphics and you know, because they have a thinking that they are defined by how, how pretty or skinny they are, and and um, 
and having that universally define your, yourself. You know, uh, the thinking about yourself being the definition of your ego or, or the de- definition as yourself as a person creates a very volatile and and sensitive structure. Mm-hmm. So so um, anytime you defy that rule or break that rule, because um, w- what's very common in body dysmorphia and, and anorectics and bulimics is that they have a very rigid set of values. And at the top is how skinny they are, or what they look like. And, and they control their whole environment in order to fulfill that need. So it's, it's a lot about control. You know, they try to control the inherently uncontrollable even. And every time they, they break that rule, they feel bad about themselves and they go deeper into whatever they're doing. So, um, you know, by, by recalibrating your actions to something outside of yourself. So it's, it's not as if, um, if you dis- define yourself as a good person, you know, and then suddenly you you find uh, a wallet and you take the money in that wallet. Then you're broken your rule about yeah. being a good person, and suddenly you're not a good person anymore. And then you feel bad about it, and then you go, you know, turn the money or the wallet in. And, and so it can be a positive thing. But if this sure. is all but you're doing all the time, and and whenever you do something that's the opposite of that current value, yeah. And that makes you really feel bad about yourself, and and suddenly you think you're not that person anymore. Then again, it's, it's it becomes very sensitive. Okay. So so if you if you rather than that look at your actions as and strategies as effective or ineffective, uh, or contextually good or not as good as as they should be, and you you get a more a wider spectrum of choices. And, and you don't make it a, as part of your own ego, you know, that defines you. Because yeah. once you do that, once you have that very rigid set of looking at yourself, you will also project yeah. it onto others. And you will start, again, the vegans, they hate everyone that... Yeah, eats who's eating meat. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you could be the Pope, you know, you could be the the wisest, best person, the the the, the kindest, gentlest person in the world. But if you have just one bite of that steak, you're a horrible person that but, but, deserves but, but, to die. Berge, it, it goes also the other way because I oh, recently yeah, yeah, had yeah. like a, a huge vegan YouTuber, like the biggest male vegan YouTuber on my podcast, Dorian Ryder. Yep. And um, I normally, I just get like a few hate comments here and there. But people were like outraged that I had him on my podcast. And I was like, what the fuck? Are you crazy, guys? Um, He's a vegan. Who cares? Like, if you are eating meat, okay, this and that. I understand this whole environmental thing and uh, this whole, like, about, like, animal rights. And and I'm totally down with that. But, but, um, yeah, I was like, oh, why is there such a backlash? But sorry, uh, please continue. I just... No, no, but I agree completely. People just go crazy out there. They go crazy. And this is the blue dot effect. This is my most disliked video, like yeah. most disliked with this vegan guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. And and this goes on in, in different areas as well. I've talked yeah. to people from all, you know, backgrounds, and you, you find this in religion, you find this in nutrition, you find this in training, you find this no matter the 
and and I think goes back to the blue dot effect. Whenever you don't really have anything uh, really important in your life going on, you start looking for problems. You start looking mm-hmm. for people you can hate on. You start looking for things that you can point fingers An enemy. at. Great drama. Yeah. Yes, we need a common enemy, and we need to feel connected to a group. Mm-hmm. So, so those two human qualities that's very you know inherent in all humans uh, will sometimes drive us into becoming zealots, you know, becoming fanatics, and and I think that's dangerous. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a billionaire investor called uh, Charlie Munger, and he says, um, ideologies make your brain like cabbage. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I totally yes. agree with that. And and um, just an example, like for me, like personally, because um, I'm in the advertising industry, and I've mm. never, never like uh, labeled me like an advertising man or something like that. And if I would have done that, and, and if I, my whole identity was wrapped in this whole like advertising space, I would never, never started this podcast interview thing. Mm. And this is like the best thing I've started in my whole life. Yes, there so, you go. Um, I think just, it becomes very limited thinking. Please you, speak you to that. I, I think it's yes. so important for everybody who's currently listening to this. I know we're, we're not uh, talking about training and diet and exercise and so on and so forth, but I think it's so important. So mm. please speak to that. Yeah, yeah, no, but I agree completely. Uh, and um, uh, again, being aware of your thinking and, and do you actually, because I, I think we can learn more by, you know, I sat down back in my most carnivore days when I would eat all meat. And I went to this com- conference called the Psychological Illusion Model. That's actually what I just talked about earlier. You know, your world perceived through your own thinking and how you can handle that better. Because our intuition is when we don't try to control our thinking. You know, it's it's um, the flow state. It's when you don't think as much. And meditation practice goes back to trying to quiet the mind and trying to let thoughts just float by without actively engaging in everything. That's when you can, you know, trust what information comes up much better. I even use this, you know, I, I call it reading. And, and it's you know, almost connected to psychic abilities, not, you know, I, I tend to joke about it that I'm psychic, but, you know, I, I think we just have such a strong intuition and instinct that we're able to catch information if we get out of our own heads and become more mindful of what's going on. We can read, I mean, language is 80, 70 or 80% body language and and, and picking up mimicry and these minor tiny movements in the face of the person you're talking to. It's, it's not the words itself. So I, I think by being so um, engaged in a, a, a predefined perception of the world or idea of the world becomes very limiting because you, you can't really perceive what's really going on. You can't perceive reality anymore. You're just stuck inside your own mind. So, so yeah, I, I think um, learning flow state, basically. Mm. Because athletes, when they break world records and you ask them, what were you thinking at the time? They weren't thinking. There's no thinking there. They, they're just doing it, you know. They have practiced the movement so many times that if thinking starts to interfere, they, they stop becoming natural. You know, they, they stop doing the movement as fluently and fluidly as, as they should be doing 
Yeah, do, do maybe you do, uh, you also know like Stephen Kotler. Um, mm -hmm. he, he done uh, he, he has done like so so many studies on a flow state and has contributed a lot of work uh, to the soul flow state thing. And I had him also on the podcast. Really interesting guy. Mm. But um, yeah, so so what would you say is the is the the whole takeaway here from? Oh yeah, I, I for, about, actually I actually forgot this, I I, yeah. I forgot to finish my story. So yeah. yeah. Uh, I tend to go into um, <laughs> digressions. No, no, I, I really love this. I really love but, it. But yeah, I went to that conference and um, this was back when I was eating only meat as an experiment. And, you know, I was kind of in, in, involved in that thinking. And there, there was a vegan there. And uh, he was like, really, he had done this for many, many years. And he looked, you know, really strong and healthy. And so I was really curious. And we just started talking and having like an honest, authentic, non-confrontational uh, conversation about his beliefs and why he thought he did what he did and my beliefs and what I, why I thought what I did. And we ended up, you know, okay, we had some moments where we got really, you know, engaged, emotional. started yeah. emotional and all that stuff. And then we calmed down and it was like, Okay, so I respect your view, and he respected mine, and we shook hands, and, and I learned a lot from just having that conversation, because I was open to the idea that, you know, the veganism could work well for him, you know, and and so eventually my own diet gravitated not, minds. you know, I'm not vegan by any chance, but. You know, I I I have uh, I eat a lot of more a lot more fruits and have some plants and you know I'm I'm a lot more flexible with my own diet, and I think my both my body and my mind is better off from it. Yeah. So so I think my advice would be if you're really stuck on some idea, if you really believe something 100%, try to be willing to scale it down to a 90%. And talk to someone that's 100% in, uh, you know, convinced of the yeah. opposite idea. Because you will learn a lot more than always looking at information that just validates your own belief right now. And, 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 and there's like a great, 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 great thing. I don't know if you know him. Uh, Scott Adams, he's the uh, creator oh, yeah. of Dearbird, like a, a huge cartoon in America. Yep. And he has one of uh, one of his sayings is that two movie, uh, two movies, one screen. And for example, if if somebody watches with his friend like some Donald Trump speech, mm. one guy is like, "Whoa, I love Donald Trump," and the other guy is like, "Fuck this guy, I hate Donald yeah, yeah. Trump." And <laughs> people will take me out of context now and put this all over social media. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's. Mind blowing, like mind blowing. Like you can have like two, two totally different perspectives. Yep. On it's the same, the same thing. Fear of flying, eyewitness statements. Yeah. Two different perspectives on the exact same situation. Exactly. And people, yeah, and people think that <laughs> their yeah. point of view is correct. Yeah. The, yes. Everybody is right in their own mind. And and I see this. <laughs> You know, now it's the volume debate raging online, whether you should do high or low volumes or yeah. everything in between. And I'm like, guys, I mean, at the end of the day, you're only going to be, be as big as your hormones and genes allow you to. Mm. And plenty of people have gotten big on low volumes and plenty of people have gotten big on high volumes. So 
how quickly you get there. It doesn't really matter if you plan to do this for, for a lot of years. And debating all of this online, being so convinced of one position or the other, really kills all progression in knowledge. I mean, you, we will not learn anything as a species if all we do is pick a side and argue for it. If we can all figure out, okay, so in what context is the high volume uh, crowd right? And in what context are they wrong? And the low volume is correct, you know? And the same thing with diets, you know? Perhaps a little of both would be good. Perhaps, you know, I, I think this goes for a lot of things. So people feel so strongly about something that they really get married to one point of view yeah. and one, you know, And they are stuck idea. in this whole thinking, yeah. Yes. And, and it, it really kills progress. I think if the world is, you know, uh, if we want the world to be become a better place to live, we need to start becoming more flexible. Not, oh, wow. not, not think that I, our idea of something is, is so strongly tied to our own ego that if that idea is proven wrong, you're suddenly worthless as a human being. Uh, it seems to be a, a, a thing. Having talked about, like, uh, we went a bit off tangent here. Of, uh, we haven't talked so much about training, diet, and, and so on and so forth. So um, we're running out of time and we can't really dive deep into this whole topic because I always ask at the end like five very quick and short questions um, mm. to every guest. But um, what would you tell everybody who is currently listening to this episode? Um, what would be your best advice on training, diet, nutrition and all this other stuff in general? And I know we, we, we are now switching gears a little bit, but um, I think that's what a lot of people also want to hear from you. So maybe you could give us like the big picture, the framework, so kind of, uh, so to speak. Wow, that's that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> but but I, I did mention before that I think the best nutritional model is to, um, to eat seasonal foods where you live. Um, And um, so, so, so basically, foods that are grown or not overly processed, and that preferably you make yourself, <clears throat> and that um, you know preferably is grown where you live, but um, but also by by sort of listening to your instincts and try to interpret them correctly. So if if um, if you feel like something sweet, then you know you you should probably have some more carbs in your diet. Um, I, I think that's that's one of the best models for for food that I can think of. I mean that that this will probably cover eighty to ninety percent of the population, and and sometimes uh, uh, <clears throat> you know if if something is physically a problem for you, you know um, the the constant and chronic diet mindset that you should chronically restrict and then you know the cutting and bulking kind of thing long term it seems to cause more problems than it solves uh, i think you should first of all work on getting your metabolism optimized and this you know has as a range of um of mechanisms that you know span from Making sure your stress is is managed properly, that you're sleeping well, 
that you get plenty of sunlight, that, you know, everything in your life is taken care of, first of all. And, and again, your mental game, your mental approach to things. And then sometimes the food just tends to fall into place by itself. But, but when, when the physiology is optimized and you have a strong body temperature, I believe you should have, through most of the day, you should have a 37-degree body temperature. That, that's a sign that you're healthy and strong and you feel warm and energetic, then your body will make use of the nutrients and it will not have a need for storing fat for later use simply because your physiology is one of abundance. You know, you have abundant supply of nutrients and food and, and, and so the evolutionary reason for storing water fat is to make it through f famines and, and hunger. And so uh, tell, basically telling the body that it doesn't need to store away fat for later use is, is a better long-term and sustainable strategy for staying lean. Uh, so, so that sort of covers the, the diet part of things and, and whether you go into you know a certain plant-based or meat-based uh, direction throughout the year, you know that as long as you follow your instinct and what feels good to you that you know that you, you're you're basically there. Uh, as for the training, I do think, at least nowadays, most people train too much and possibly not hard enough when, when they train. Mm. So at least when it comes to strength and muscle building, shorter, more higher effort workouts will be better. But if you want to build endurance, the ability to perform for a longer period of time then for sure you need lesser effort and longer duration. It it all makes sense from a, you know a specific adaptation to impose demands principle. Uh, so I don't think combining high effort, high intensity training with long duration, like high volume, will work long term for uh, most people. So so that's sort of my overarching point on the whole debate there. I do tend to think that you get sort of the Pareto principle effect. You, from 20% of the time investment, you get 80% of the results. So in practical terms, I think two hard sets, possibly three, if you don't think the two sets did it for you, on each muscle group, two to th three times per week should cover probably 90% of all of the listeners. And if you're very advanced and you make a living out of this and you need to be you know a top athlete top powerlifter or weightlifter then of course the equation changes a little and you should you know do everything you can to optimize things and in what direction that may go it's it's on a very individual level but whenever you start talking about advanced principles uh, that may only apply to one or two percent of the population the remaining 98 to 99% of the population think or believes they belong to this advanced clientele. And, and that's the problem because most people can just stick to some very basic routines. I mean, look at Martin Birkin and his lean gains routine. The guy looks amazing. He's been training for, like this for many years and he has produced a lot of you know, great results in his clients. And incidentally, that's very close to the model I use with my own clients. And they get better results by just training hard on a few sets a few times per week than they ever did on the one set to failure every two weeks on one side of the spectrum to the 
30 to 40 set per week uh, crazy high volumes that you know the current uh, current hype so the answer may sound boring but you know the boring is what works unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> love this so Borge, um could you please tell everybody where can they connect with you on social media find you on the social webs uh get with you in touch work with you and so on and so forth uh, my Facebook page is probably where I post the most often, not very often these days, but uh, you will you will find a private profile where I only accept people I know. And then the page, which is the one you should follow if you want to get information from me. And then I have the borgefagerly.com homepage where, you know, I'll post my articles and blogs and stuff. Got it. So um, the first out of the five question is, is, What are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? <sighs> wow. Um, the three books, my God. I think uh, Minimalism is a very good book. The Art of uh, you know, Getting More Out of Less or something. Um, that, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, the Story of the Human Body by Danny Lieberman. I think that's worth me mentioning. Um, and I, I gotta mention my, my good friend and mentor, Jürgen Rasmussen, his, his book, Provocative uh, Stories and Pro Provocative Hypnosis, Pro Provocative Stories, I believe is the last one. I think that was a very good uh, book on how he has, you know, worked with his clients and made some impressive uh, changes in a short time. Got it. The second question is, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Uh, the Matrix. That's you know just <laughs> the reality. Fits into this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I do like superhero movies in general, so you know that <laughs> hits the spot right there. Um, the other two movies, wow. You know, I'm more of a using movies for entertainment. I don't think documentaries are always the best. Because it's, you know, a very biased view of uh, some topic. So, um, yeah, then, then please speak to that. Like, two, two, you have enjoyed the most. Um, I did like the documentary on Muhammad Ali. I think mm. he was amazing. And I think Pumping Iron is just one of the greatest movies ever made. With <laughs> Arnold and all of those guys. That that kind of camaraderie and, and, and how... You know, they supported each other and played games and, and teased. And, you know, that was a completely different era. And I just love that. <laughs> so those are right. off the top of my head. I will probably change my answer if you ask me uh, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the third question is, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? Well, I did uh, three years of something called the Soul Spring. Uh, school, which is um, basically reading, developing your intuition and, uh, you know, let's call it psychic abilities, but I prefer to call it reading, you know, reading people, uh, like reading, healing, that kind of stuff. And it, again, just addresses various um, issues in your past and, and present and future. Um, but very, 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 uh, you know, um, mind-blowing and just changed my whole outlook and everything um and, and, uh, yeah, just one just one everything's fine <laughs> okay okay 
just okay. one. Yeah, that's okay. that's the main one. <laughs> so um, the fourth question out of five is, um, Borge, um, what what have been the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their business, health, family, time. Like, speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us. Well, I think it it, it must be the the role the mind and the brain plays in in how the body responds to its environment. That's the main one. All you know, always be skeptical of your own thinking and and what you are perceiving. So um, the last question for today is, uh, what would you tell your twenty year old self? Uh, stay humble. Stay humble for sure, because I would go through a period of time where I thought this was the solution, this was the answer, and it locked me into a certain mindset or thinking for so many years that it became self-limiting. So, mm. so stay, stay humble to your to the world and to your own knowledge. <laughs> so um, I'm a bit sad that we're ending this already, but um, <laughs> thank you very, very much for this amazing, 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 amazing episode. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank so, you. Thank you. Yeah. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. Talk soon. Yeah.